Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome in. It's a new edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. Coming to you from State College, I'm Tyler Donahue. Coming to you from the beach, Sean Fitz, uh, teaming up for episode one this week. And here in State College, we've got football players back in town. About 70 of them returned last week and team activities back underway in a very different manner uh, at Haluba Hall, the indoor practice facility. We'll get into uh, kind of the context of what's going on right now on campus who's still not around quite yet, when they're going to get here. This was our first opportunity this week on Monday to speak with Micah Parsons in a media session since the Cotton Bowl back in Dallas. So needless to say, a lot has changed since then. Uh, Another Penn State player hits the transfer portal, this time at the quarterback position. We've got plenty to get into. Some recruiting notes, our five-star mailbag, but let's send it to the beach real quick. Sean, hopefully you've been soaking up some sun, having fun with the family, getting out of here. I know you were stationary during the quarantine for a very long time. School's out. Hopefully you guys are having a nice time. Yes, and I apologize for my audio in advance. I'm recording on the old uh, headphones here, so I don't have my equipment. But uh, no, it's good to get away. I'm fortunate enough to have uh, married into a beach house. So uh, I, I, it's a, it's something that I would recommend doing if you're looking for any uh, marital <laughs> advice or, or dating advice. It, it, it's been good. Um, but no, it's, uh, yeah, it's been an active week. We started getting things rolling a little bit. It's not, hasn't all been good news, but, uh, we're back talking about football and that's, you know, after, uh, stumbling over ourselves for a couple of months here, it's good to, to, to actually see people, well, you've seen, or you've seen them in state college in the flesh and, and they're getting back at it. Yeah, and truly, Mark Brennan and his daughter Grace, who is our super intern extraordinaire, uh, and we got her locked in for a few more years. Penn She's, State uh, freshman, st- yeah. Yeah, Penn State freshman, so congratulations to her m- moving on from State College High, but it's good for us because she does a great job uh, taking photos, videos, a lot of stuff that, that we need help with, and, and Mark and her were at Holuba on Monday, uh, watching players enter the building, and it is a very much different than what we're usually seeing. First off, the masks. I guess at this point, seeing anybody wearing masks is kind of uh, getting normal compared to where it was a few months ago. But uh, you know, rolling in with the mask, they get their temperature taken. Penn State actually put up a, a video on their social media account. Kind of going over the uh, you know uh, video clips of of these guys rolling in, getting the medical evaluation before they enter team facilities, and all that different stuff. We heard last week from Keaton Ellis uh, and Jahan Dotson about the the kind of getting back in the groove, but in a much different way where where there's all these new protocols. Uh, but the good thing is, you know, these guys are, are seeing each other as as much as Penn State fans want to see these guys on campus. Imagine how much they've been wanting to, to to build up that camaraderie again, get off of Zoom, get off of FaceTime and actually start having these conversations in person. Um, and, and Sean, we saw the video from Mark and Grace, saw a bunch of pictures. Um, again, it's just I, I took a drive down to uh, to the Beaver Stadium and also I went over by the Lash Building in Haluba Hall. This was probably mid late april and at that point 
I honestly couldn't tell you when we were going to see anyone back on campus, much less football players. And I said this last week, to see this playing out the way it is in mid-June, it feels like it's ahead of schedule, makes makes you feel good, especially considering what we do for a livelihood. There's still some apprehension on my end because of how we're still monitoring this virus across the nation and, and how different programs and different conferences and different states are going to be dealing with this. But man, was that a refreshing sight to see these guys all smiles, I'm assuming behind those masks, getting back together in team facilities. I, I feel like I keep saying it's something, you know, it's it, it it's some sort of step back and and, you know, that we, we've seen all over the country, there have been setbacks. Houston obviously had a big one. Um, and that's going to be something that, you know, maybe we're going to have to get used to and prepare for. So it's, uh, you know, it it's a step forward and getting those guys back together gets them closer to being one big group. And like we said, they're going to quarantine and, and, you know, live in their own spots and be with those guys who they live with and all that stuff. And, you know, eventually working their way back up to where they need to be in terms of getting together as a team and maybe working out with a football in July and actually doing some team-based activities, trying to recoup some of that spring, which is very important. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a step and, and to see these guys back on campus and, uh, you know, just just any sort of uh, positive momentum you can gain toward August, toward September is is something you'll take right now. And to see the Penn State football Twitter account tweeting new video of players on campus is nice because it's been about three months of throwback videos from them. Uh, so it, it's a it's a nice change of pace. That's a reminder that again, momentum all of a sudden. Moving in the right direction here as we are, as of today's recording, 81 days shy of that kickoff scheduled against Kent State for September 5th. A lot to learn about college football at large, a lot to learn about where we stand as a country in those next 81 days. Um, Now, we mentioned a ton of players are back. The headliner of this roster, really, Micah Parsons, is not among them. We'll explain why a little bit later when we go through that conversation with him. But one new addition that we know confirmed to be on campus, Sean, Jair Brown, a recent guest here on the show. I'm I'm glad we got a chance to bring him in um, for that conversation before he got to campus. As far as I understand it, he is the only new member of that 2020 recruiting class who has arrived. We've done reach out, um, several confirmations on your end, a few more on my end. Looks like this upcoming weekend is going to be a big one for the influx of freshmen. Remember, Jair Brown coming in as a junior out of Lackawanna. Yeah, uh, clarification, uh, the guys that are coming back that weren't enrolled in January. But yeah, the, yes. the rest of the summer enrollees uh, plan to arrive this weekend. They're going to go through sort of the similar situation where you quarantine them for a week. Classes don't start for the second summer session until July 1st. So get a little bit of time on campus, get yourself adjusted, get all that medical stuff taken care of. And, and there's usually, uh, you know, there's always medical stuff for them to do physicals and things like that when they arrive anyway. But you add a couple layers to it with with what's going on here. So Get them a chance to get, uh, you know, get uh, comfortable with the surroundings and get going. Uh, you talked to Jair Brown, uh, broke the story about him being the, the only one that we know on campus so far. His teammate, uh, Norval Black from Lackawanna, is going to be on campus this weekend. We've got a bunch of other guys who say that they're coming, including five-star linebacker Curtis Jacobs. So just another step forward. Uh, I'm not really sure what the process is going to be for those guys in terms of moving in because with players in a hotel, you got to think it's it's a similar situation. I'm not sure you know how uh, how the dorms are being handled. Of course, Penn State uh, announced on Monday morning that they're coming back for, with students in, in the fall. So that's uh, another step forward from, from that manner. But uh, 
Yeah, this is going to be a it's going to be quite a crash course for those guys because you're not sure what to what to expect when you get to college in general, but when you just throw so many other things at them like it, it's going to be, it's going to be uh it's going to be something for them. Yeah, welcome to college. Here's your mask. Let's take your temperature. This is the key to your hotel room and we'll let you know when you can see the rest of your teammates beyond your position group. It's going to be a, a wild process to, to for for this freshman class. We're going to be talking about it throughout their careers because of of their introductory to college football. And that goes for the early enrollees, obviously guys like Keandre Lambert, Theo Johnson, Keziah Holmes who had every intention of making the most of their first few months on campus. They go away for spring break. They don't end up back on campus till the summer. Um, so what do they gain? We're going to learn that as things go on. Uh, certainly going to learn what, what people may have lost in the three months that, that they were absent from campus. But let's address what you just mentioned, the fact that Penn State has confirmed plans for the fall semester that's going to involve in-person classes. That's something that was wiped off the board in March. Uh, no one came back from spring break. Uh, graduation ceremonies went virtual. Everyone knows the story by now about the cancellations and postponement, postponements at large. The plan here now is uh, on track to start on campus. Monday, August 24th is the start of the fall semester. Uh, there's going to be an adjusted schedule, something that we've seen across the country with colleges laying out their play playbook for the upcoming months. Um, Campus-based residential instruction, Sean, is going to be done with Friday, November 20th. And so going into Thanksgiving break, the remainder of the semester, final exams, all that stuff, it's going to be remote. Um, and that, that, so that's a big difference here uh, across college and that, and here at Penn State. And so they're actually going to be holding classes on Labor Day to try to prevent students from going out and about. In my mind, kids are going to be kids. They're going to take chances. There's that invincibility cloak that, Every 18, 19-year-old on a college campus seems to think that they wear. I remember thinking I wore one of those. So we'll see how it goes. Penn State, the circumstances are not much different than all the big universities across America. You're, you're, trusting, uh, you're trusting your students a bit. You're trusting your staff, certainly. And you're trusting your protocol that you've put together uh, with your task force and whatever you've assembled in recent months. But uh, again, this is, uh, this is something good that we're hearing after all the run of postponements and cancellations and and virtual you know events uh we're gonna see people walking out and about i know it's great for the state college economy and uh, let's hope it let's hope this is something that's sustainable and can can steadily get people back to campus for good where we're not having to take it semester by semester it's going to be interesting because Penn State is uh, state college itself is in such a bubble that you know we, we really haven't been hit hard by the virus so far and it's kind of going to be the the opposite of what you've seen in certain places where the population is higher where you know you got a bunch of people getting sick and then you know it's sort of the the, the flattening of the curve if you say I think state college might be the opposite where you've got uh, not much to start with but then when everybody starts coming in from all these corners of uh, of the country and the state and everything like that that's that's where it's going to get real and that's where it's kind of scary for for state college and that's kind of scary for you know the football season is because you got a lot of people coming back to a small place and going to be around each other so that's uh that's going to be something to watch uh you know i'm not <clears throat> excuse me not, not not real confident that uh, those numbers are going to stay where they're at and that's uh it's part of the reality of the situation so we're going to have to watch that as we get closer to football season because you know it could be a, a chain reaction type thing so that's uh 
you know, we'll, uh, we'll see what happens. We're going to live and learn, I guess, and 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 see which direction that's going to go. But uh, for for a place like State College, that's so isolated to to bring that many people back that fast is is, you know, it's uh it's going to be an endeavor. This is uh, very parallel in, in, in some ways to where I grew up, Sean, Cape May County, New Jersey. Last I had checked, the, as of a couple of weeks ago, Cape May County had easily the fewest cases uh, in the state in terms of uh, COVID. Now, now, it was like less than 500 total cases. You go up to Bergen County, North Jersey, more populated areas. We're talking about 20,000 cases in that ballpark in some of these counties. Now, Memorial Day hits. I'm going down there this week. I'm going to be part of the, the shoebies hitting the road, although I am a native. But you're getting people from New York. You're getting people from Philadelphia, all walks of life. All of a sudden, uh, the the population blows up. And, and I'm wondering, what are those numbers going to look like on July 1st? So uh, I'm certainly keeping tabs on that. And we'll be doing the same here at, at, at Penn State and State College. It's, you know, it's, it's these places like uh you know cities and, and where it's you know day in day out you kind of know what to expect from your population college campuses is not like that uh resort towns is not like that and and we're learning a lot about both places i think this month into the, into august when colleges really start to to reopen across america so we'll find out uh focusing on football though yeah it's um, a it's a football <laughs> podcast not a covid podcast i hope we yeah, didn't lose yeah. on that one but uh it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting we got fl- we got freshmen coming back this weekend including quarterback micah bowens who has moved up the depth chart uh inadvertently in j- over the last week so uh michael johnson jr of course you, you you talked about this earlier uh entered the portal uh redshirt freshman to be played one season uh you know it was a fifth screen fifth string quarterback but still a lot of promise there in terms of athleticism in terms of playmaking ability that we heard about uh you know in in the scrimmage not a complete surprise i mean we we've talked how many times have we talked on the show about him potentially moving to wide receiver there was i think there was every a question- time we mentioned his name i think yeah i mean there's a question about a couple weeks ago if you if you can't be accurate especially in this offense and and it you know it he was always the guy that you labeled we we labeled as the four-star athlete the three-star quarterback and you know accuracy is such a big part of this uh this new offense the the running quarterback i would think just based off of what we've seen from kirk shiraka is a smaller part of this offense so you know, those are both things that uh, that Michael Johnson does not specialize in. I still think he can go and play quarterback somewhere because of that playmaking ability. Um, you know, accuracy is going to catch up with him in the long run. But uh, you know, it's a, he, he's a really athletic kid. He's a really smart kid. He's been able to uh, you know he's he's coach's kid and all that kind, that kind of stuff. But uh, we'll see where he lands. Um, I mean, it's not a huge surprise. You know, I mean, you take a look at the the guys that you know we don't speculate about, but we think about and we talk amongst ourselves as as potential guys that might not be here he fits that list I mean two quarterback class I mean that's uh the second time James Franklin's brought in a two quarterback class I think it's the second time that one of those quarterbacks has transferred after his freshman year because Michael O'Connor I believe did the same uh back in 2015 or 2016 uh just before 2016 so um it's been really uh or 2015 I think it was I, I don't know why he was, Michael O'Connor that. was out in a hurry yeah it was because he came in for the 2014 season then it was I believe the 2015 spring or something like that yeah he, he was, he was out. out before his second year on campus which is the case here as well with, with uh, Johnson they all run together man but uh, yeah, I hear you. Uh, but uh, take one Roberson still with the team as as a redshirt freshman um, Bowens is going to show up and of course you've got the the one two tier in Sean Clifford and, and will Levis so not much changes on the field at least for this 
year, like I said, I would have liked to see Johnson stick it out, see how he can improve his accuracy under under Shiraka. But uh, it's one of those things. I mean, when you take two quarterbacks, especially when one of those comes from all the way across the country, it's, uh, that's, that's the risk that you take. Back in the early days of uh, 2019, which feels like a long time ago, uh, longer than it really is, uh, we got a chance to speak with Michael Johnson and Noah Kane and John Dunmore and Brandon Smith. I say we, it was me down in Orlando uh, at the Under Armour All-America game. And, you know, I kind of was gauging Michael Johnson on, you know, where did he stand? Because I, I saw the film. I, I heard the scouting reports and from our, uh, our our team at 24-7 Sports, what they felt about him. And, you know, it didn't take long to connect the dots and say, you know, to a quarterback class, does this kid end up at a different position? Brought that possibility up to him. And while he did feel confident in his athleticism to be able to make that kind of a move, this was a kid who's, you know, got that I'm a quarterback mindset, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, it, it that that kind of mindset has proven plenty of people wrong in the past. And look, some some guys, you know, they they want to give it a shot at quarterback, and 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 he's gonna. I'm assuming wherever he lands next, it's not gonna be uh, as an athlete. There's not gonna be gray area about his role. He's gonna be looking for a place that wants him at the quarterback position because that's really been his mindset uh, since the days before he enrolled there. He got to campus last January. Um, now with, with Roberson, we already felt he had that edge um, ahead of, of Johnson. He was named uh, the co-offensive player of the year on the scout team last year. And he's the one who, when it came down to it, was traveling more with the team late in the 2019 season. He was the guy who followed up Will Levis into the Rutgers game during the regular season finale when Sean Clifford was sidelined. So all indications, including the spring depth chart, pointed to him being the number three guy. Now with Johnson out of the mix, you know, Bowens comes in. You expect him to be the scout team quarterback. He'll be on campus this weekend. Um, Red shirt seems to be the likely case. And you look to 2021 in that quarterback room, you know, Christian Veyu comes on board in, in late April. He's going to be here uh, next year. And Sean Clifford, barring a major leap in production and performance, he's going to be here next year as a fifth-year senior. So going through this real quick, Sean, redshirt senior Sean Clifford, redshirt junior Will Levis, redshirt sophomore Taquan Roberson, redshirt freshman Micah Bowens, and true freshman Christian Veyu. On paper, that's how this quarterback room lays out this time next year. I wonder if there isn't another inevitable transfer situation in the works here, and and I don't know where it's going to be. I think it's going to be very compelling, the fact that Kirk Shiraka did not recruit any of these guys personally outside of Christian Veyu. These are not the quarterbacks he pursued for Penn State and signed with Penn State. Uh, he inherited the rest of the group, and... More on that, he hasn't had a single practice with any of these guys, and Sean Clifford is the only one that has extensive game film. Will Levis has some, certainly. Roberson has one pass documented in a college game, so that's not a lot to work with for Kirk Shiraka, who's still about a month or so away from actually seeing these guys throw the football around under his guidance on a football field, so... Um, I don't know, Sean. I think what we've learned about the quarterback position across college football during recent years in particular is you can't take much for granted and say, uh, kind of set it and forget it with a depth chart and things will work out and guys will sit idle. I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's another move made out of this group between now and, and June 2021. Not surprised at all. I mean, I think that's only natural. And and that's just the, the movement that we've seen not only at Penn State, but across the country in terms of quarterbacks want to play, quarterbacks want to be the guy. And you, you think about Will Levis in a, in a situation kind of similar to what Tommy Stevens was in 
Um, you know, they're going to find a role for him this year, especially I think as a runner. Um, but at the same time, I mean, quarterbacks want to play quarterback and that's really what they're, that's what they're here for. And they don't want to waste too much time. And, red, uh, you know, he'll be a, a redshirt sophomore this year, but uh, all of a sudden, you know, redshirt, you know, that's a, that's a big jump, a redshirt sophomore to redshirt junior, especially if you're still not playing. And most of the guys that we've seen, not only at quarterback, but at other positions, Damian Barber, for instance, uh, was going to be a redshirt junior and he's, he wasn't going to play much. So he hit the portal. So it's, uh, you know, that's just kind of the way things go in college football. Boy, it makes sense, and uh, that w- with that position, I mean, you, you meant you laid it out on on June sixteenth, twenty twenty. I mean, you you can't help but think it's probably going to look different at some point in the next year. But uh, you know, I think there's there, there's some competitors in there. I'm curious to see what steps Roberson takes. We we mentioned the lack of accuracy for Michael Johnson. That is one of Roberson's things that he hangs his hat on is, is his accuracy. So we'll see where he gets, and then uh, you know, Bowen's coming in behind him. Uh, really not sure what to expect. Good tape, good testing numbers. Uh, we saw him at camp, weren't particularly blown away. Um, so, you know, there's question marks there as well. And Veyu, you know, I put that that film up last week on, on 24-7 Sports. Kid looks good, man. I mean, he looks yeah. he looks like he's got uh, some serious whip to him. Um, you know, we'll see if he can, you know, handle everything thrown his way. But, uh, he's, you know, we've had him on the podcast. He's a sharp kid. I mean, you got to think that um, moving forward, is he the guy? It potentially looks that way right now. I look at those three projected younger quarterbacks and, um, you know, redshirt sophomore for Roberson next year isn't all that young, but Roberson, Bowens, Veyu, one of these things is not like the other physically, right? Veyu, much different in terms of a, a, a quarterback careful, prospect. Careful, careful with that one. <laughs> He's six foot four, um, and okay, the others are about six flat, uh, six foot one ish, um, maybe. Um, so I think, you know, that's something that, that he's got, he, he looks a little bit different. Now he's still evaluated as a three star by 24 seven sports. That's the same kind of designation that Micah Bowens had, I believe Taquan Roberson was right there inside four star territory at the end of the day. And the evaluations, Will Levis was a three star. Um, so I'm also wondering here as, as we review, maybe this is viewed as an attractive landing spot and it would get a lot more attractive if Sean Clifford goes out and puts up big numbers and this passing attack takes the step forward. Maybe this is viewed as a, a pretty attractive landing spot for a 2022 quarterback recruit. We know Penn State's been uh, quite active in, in sending out some offers 2022. They've got a, a kid um, you know, who I think is uh, Braden Davis is 2022, correct? I'm, I'm yeah, like, correct. yeah, yes. I, I was thinking he was 2023 as I'm saying the sentence. They got a kid in Delaware, I think, same high school as Chris Godwin and Braden Davis that, that looks like he could be up there with just about anybody at the position in the 2022 class as he develops. And, you know, he's a name that stands out to me. You got Bo Perbula. Is he a quarterback? Is he an athlete? Remains to be seen. But I, I get the feeling that especially if Kirk Shiraka is the answer for this offensive attack and given what they have on the depth chart returning, you're not really going to scare off uh, a top level recruit. And, and, you know, we've seen Clemson and, and Alabama and, and, and Georgia try to follow up five-star signees with another five-star signee or a top rated guy. And that can get messy. It can get dicey for the guy who's already on campus or the guy who's coming in. You know, Penn state wouldn't really run into that conundrum. I don't think in, in the 2022 cycle. No, I think just on paper, it's an attractive opportunity for 2022. We've seen, you know, we said that about 2021 as well, especially, uh, you know, coming off of, uh, of signing Bowens and, and Clifford, the way things are working, you know, it could, could work out in 2021's favor. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it, it is an attractive spot, but. 
to be honest with you. I mean, we've said that about a couple of positions in the last couple of years. Hasn't really come through like we thought it, it, it would. And on the flip side, you know, this is this is the year that you have to go out. This is when you go out, you know, you have that uh, that that big splash initially and show what you can do if you're Kirk Shiraka. So if that takes off, I mean, that's certainly something that, that will make it attractive. Um, you know, we saw that with with Joe Moorhead. Uh, you know, he had more interest, you know, when, when he left. I mean, besides Roberson, he had interest from, from top guys. He had Justin Fields committed, obviously. Um, so, you know, you can see that little burst of, uh, you know, I guess momentum. It, it kind of like a new coach bump that we talk about with, a, you know, like a Mac Brown right now or something like that. Um, but uh, you can use that just position wise, and I think that's that's what's most attractive about that 2022. You come in, you can say, you know, there's only one guy that this guy is recruited. And that's Christian Veyu, and that was even a half recruitment. I mean, he was he was on the board before Shiraka got here. So I think it is attractive. But until we see it on the field, until they can put out something that's sort of uh, uh, you can propagandize and, and make yes. yourself attractive to uh, 2022. Even from out of the out of the region, I think that's what what you're gearing up for for 2022. Perception, man, it's perception is so pivotal in recruiting. I, the propagandizing that that's a great term to use here as well. Because look, I mean, what was the what was the word on LSU for so many years? If only they could they could get production out of their quarterback position, they seem to be okay everywhere else. Then Joe Burrow goes and sets like every passing record, and I think perception has changed in LSU's case. Now that's the extreme example here. But you brought up one that happened here at Penn State. Just just a few years back and you know when Christian Hackenberg didn't develop the way people thought didn't do well for your quarterback perception across the country then you got Trace McShorley running throwing improvising uh in this exciting scheme and and you know people look at things a different way and that kind of sets up this conversation that that Josh Pate um who hosts Late Kick for for 24/7 Sports um it does a great job delving into everything in college football for uh, for 24-7 sports. He turned his attention on a show uh, on Sunday uh, to Penn State, Kirk Shiraka, and the ramifications of what it would mean for Sean Clifford and this offense to take a step forward, not just in 2020, but also what it could mean long term. Here's what he said. If I get from them the steady progression that I think I'm going to get, now I want you to consider what it means, not just in 2020, but 21, 22, 23, all of a sudden, if I'm a four-star receiver in Deerfield Beach, Florida, and every year I look at the same programs because a lot of kids come from that area. So every year, all those receivers down there, they pluck them off trees every season. And they're looking at Alabama, and they're looking at Clemson, and they're looking at Ohio State. More, In a lot of cases, more so than they're looking at the in-state programs. Florida's done better. All of a sudden, you start adding Penn State to that list. Because all of a sudden, there's an offense I can go to up there where I can get my playing time, I can get my production, brand name, really cool place to play, probably underrated perceptionally, nationally amongst recruits right now, and then comes the kicker. I don't think you have the quarterback of your future on your roster right now, and you may have trained your mind to think, okay, well, if you know Sean Clifford's back next year, unless he goes crazy this year and goes to the draft, Clifford's back next year, but then you know we're looking at a bunch of guys that are mm, maybe, maybe, maybe. And if one of those guys doesn't pan out, then who are we recruiting that could be the quarterback of the future? That's not the way to think about it. The way to think about it is the same way Georgia just thought about it. You get an offensive product that's viable. And if you do get that this year, which I think you will, all of a sudden you may have one eye on high school come this offseason. The other eye is going to be nationally. 
and you're looking at which quarterback out there has what it takes that's not in the best position that wants to transfer. That's where big-time recruiting in the world of quarterbacks is shifting to. Interesting thoughts there from Josh, who, by the way, uh, leads our video uh, video efforts here at 24-7 Sports. So if you've seen an uptick in that uh, through our articles and then the videos that are embedded across the site, he's been a huge part of that a- a- initiative. And also check out him on the late kick. Um, does, a, does a really nice job running down the current events in college football and, and, and adding some flair to it as well. And, and, and he mentioned, you know, you know, what is it going to look like long term to me, continuing that long term thinking Going into 2021, whenever the the chapter is written and closed on this 2020 season and however it ends, let's say Sean Clifford is of starter quality. Let's say he does take a step forward, but not to the point where he's going to be heading out for early NFL draft entry. Um, and he's back next year. To me, the biggest question, and it kind of feels like Sean Clifford, Tommy Stevens last year, is how does Kirk Sharaka view Taquan Roberson and Will Levis next to each other heading into the next offseason. If you've got Sean Clifford back and he remains your starter, a third-year starter at that spot, what does it look like next? And I think Roberson, Levis, they're going to be front and center for me. We'll see how Christian Veyu handles the game. And, and I still I agree with you. I don't really know what to think about Micah Bowens at this stage. But those two guys are going to be at the crux of whatever this depth chart develops into. Oh, I, I think undoubtedly. I mean, you've got uh, two guys that are, you know, a little bit different styles. Levis, a big runner. Uh, Roberson is going to be that that passer. You know, it's, he's got some athleticism, but, uh, you know, Levis has the edge and it's not even close at that point. So um, you've got uh, two different conflicting styles. You, you can use Levis in a different way than you use Clifford and you use Roberson. But uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting because we talk about accuracy and we haven't seen that from Levis. We know he's got a huge arm, just absolutely cannon for an arm. But, you know, if you don't know where it's going, if you can't place it where you want it to go, it's it's not going to be very effective. I think I think it's probably unfair to judge him off of the Rutgers game fully last year. I mean, he obviously was not good. It was not what he was looking for. Um, but, you know, your first game as a starter, that's that's what happens. And, and, and unfortunately, it is against Rutgers. So you're going to get that curve where, you know, you should have blown those guys out and, and you didn't. So um, I'm curious to see what, what he brings to the table um, in terms of improving his accuracy, improving his reads and, and seeing where he goes from here. Not sure how much we're going to see of that on the field, especially this year. You know, if Clifford, uh, especially if Clifford's running less and staying healthier because of it, then, you know, everybody's happy. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be really interesting, uh, the, I guess, sub study of, of, of what you're looking at at that position. Clifford, obviously, the guy that's in focus and, you know, he's got to take us. He's got to take steps forward, as we said, as well. So there's development to be had all around. But it, it's funny because you you you've. Uh, recruited these different styles of quarterback, different body types, different the athleticism. So you've got different ways that you need to improve each player instead of just uh, you know getting guys that are cookie cutter, getting guys that are similar to each other, and you have to improve the the same skills all around. So it's going to be a challenge for Kirk Shiraka. It's going to be a challenge to to fit this offense into it and, and see. And it's going to be a challenge, honestly, for Will Levis to see where he's at. You know, maybe at this time next year, or even you know mid season, uh, end of the season, and 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 develop or see where he can develop and see where he can help this team, but at the same time help himself and help his future. 
And conversely, if Clifford doesn't take that step forward and doesn't assert himself as the quarterback and Kirk Shiraka's game plan that takes the next step and, and looks like a different guy, then it's a different conversation maybe entering the offseason and maybe not even to the offseason, uh, depending on how Clifford performs. I, I think there's an expectation and an optimism that he will look better here in 2020, particularly given the chance to get on the practice field uh, now and, and being a team leader. But you never know until the games are played. Going to have a big early season test on the road at Virginia Tech if things go according to plan schedule-wise and uh, plenty, plenty to prove in the Big Ten slate for Sean Clifford once conference action gets underway. When we come back, we'll talk about... I, I have one more point oh, on that. I have one it. more point yeah. on that because we, we gloss over this so often because it's not really the right thing to do by your recruits. But if Sean Clifford doesn't have a great season, I mean, you've got a, an offensive coordinator who's not particularly tied to any of these guys, and you want to take that next step to to the playoff. Portal you time. Can look, you can look at the portal, and that's, yeah. not, that's not a sin. I mean, you've got to make your team better. And like I said, it's not... It's not what you promised those guys in the room, but at the same time, I mean, you look at the, the playoff, you look at the Heisman Trophy ceremonies, there's transfers there that have that have taken the next step, and if you're a team that's a piece away and that piece is a quarterback, you owe it to yourself, you owe it to your program to look in the portal. So, I mean, I, I think selling that short and saying, you know, just because you are Penn State, you don't want to go that route, I think that's uh, not really the, the, the mindset that you need if you want to get yourself to that next level, and I think it's absolutely possible. I think that's I, – I don't think it's, uh, you know, I don't think it's probable at this point, but if he doesn't take that step and you don't know if you have a guy that, that can be a playoff quarterback, you owe it to yourself to look in there. Well, you know, Georgia did it this offseason. Who did it last offseason? LSU did. Oklahoma did. Worked out pretty well. Ohio uh, State did a pretty good job finding Ohio one. Ohio State did a good good job. And um, obviously being able to point to success and productivity in your offense uh, is a major, major, uh, uh, you know, that's a tool when, when guys are out there scouting and evaluating where they want to land. Uh, if you have proof in the pudding, as they say, it, it'll go a lot longer than, than giving them promises on a rebuild or something offensively. And uh, yeah, Penn State uh, sputters offensively. That's going to be a hard sell. And, and, and if Sean Clifford doesn't turn out to be your guy, it probably means that things didn't go great uh, on offense. So much to talk about offensively with Kirk Shiraka and these guys getting back to campus in the coming weeks. And that will remain in the spotlight at quarterback, extending all the way throughout the pass attack. Uh, we'll come back in a moment. Uh, not a lot of questions left regarding Micah Parsons. He has proven plenty during his first two years on campus. He's not on campus currently. We'll tell you why. We'll tell you what he's looking ahead to in 2020 following his first media availability of the year. We'll get into some recruiting notes, our five-star mailbag. Stay with us here in the Lions 24-7 podcast. Quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
on May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie <laughs> dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus. It's been a long time since we spoke with Micah Parsons. All the way back uh, to December in Dallas, in fact. And the third-year Penn State linebacker always has plenty uh, to say about his development. He's the first to tell you that he's come a long way since uh, his recruitment as one of the marquee members of the 2018 class nationally. The strange journey that led him to Penn State further and further into the rearview mirror. And now we're talking about the legacy that he could leave behind in Happy Valley. Nearly 200 tackles to his credit through a couple of seasons. He was a consensus freshman All-American. He was a consensus All-American as a sophomore. And then, of course, Big Ten Linebacker of the Year, a finalist for the Buckus Award, Cotton Bowl MVP honors. Sean, this is what we call meeting expectations. And, and dare I say, I mean, this kid has maybe elevated the expectations on him since he got to campus, which is just amazing. The top-rated recruit to sign with the Nittany Lions since 2005. I mean, you, you think that uh, a top-five player has expectations, and then you see this and you talk about uh, how good Micah Parsons has been, and you, you meet those expectations. Uh, that's uh, you know, that's a pretty good. Uh, that's a pretty high mountain for him to climb. So, you know, for him to get back and, and get going is a, is a good thing. I mean, the, he's obviously the, the, the guy that you're building around. He's obviously, from a national standpoint, the guy that people are going to focus on. So it will be fun to see him develop. I'm curious to see where he's at physically. He had a great quote uh, that he's he said, I'm not in Coach Deed's shape, but when I come back, I won't die. And that's, you know... That is something that I experience every day. You know, every time, every time I go out for a workout, I'm just planning on, I hope I don't die. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it was funny to hear that. And yeah, I mean, he's, uh, he's having fun with it. He's doing some good things. I know he knows that big payday is, uh, you know, ahead of him, uh, less than a year from now. But, uh, yeah, for him to get back and get going and, and sort of, you know, this is, this is a time that you need to build him up. This is a time that you need to say, Hey, at Penn State, we can make stars. We, you know, Michael Parsons was a guy that was in, uh, in state. This is a guy that was big, uh, you know, just on the national radar. We took him. He stayed home. He made himself a career. And, you know, for whatever you had with those other guys in that 2018 class, the Shorters, the Slades, and everything like that, it has worked out really, really well for Michael Parsons. And that's something that you got to play up for the next, uh, what, eight months or whatever uh, we, we have left to see of Michael Parsons in a Penn State uniform. And he has been a particularly active member of this roster when it comes to recruiting talent to campus. And he said during the phone call on Monday, you know, look, uh, in the linebacker room and, and, and across the roster, I have helped recruit these kids to campus. I understand the talent level that we're dealing with at Penn State. Uh, he, he has said, you know, really going back to his freshman year, uh, when, you know, the attention started to shift towards him again, he started to play more. Whenever we had a chance to talk with him, he always tries to say, I came here to win a national championship. All the other stuff is a result, is a byproduct of the work I'm putting in individually. But, you know, he, he's been talking about that since he came to Penn State as a kid who truly felt like he could be uh, the guy to, to grab that torch from, from someone like Saquon Barkley, Trace McSorley, take it into the next level. 
kind of be that face of the franchise player. And when you look at a lot of these graphics that are popping up, I've seen a few on 24-7 sports, you know, the preseason conversations, uh, all these different lists, they feature players on these graphics, right? And it's often Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, and there's a good chance Micah Parsons is going to be the third guy on that picture. He is among the most recognizable figures in college football, uh, which obviously speaks volumes about what he has accomplished here the last couple of years. Um, and one thing with Micah, you know, he has bec- he has been really, really transparent in kind of uh, evaluating his past. When we got him for his first media availability at all at Penn State following his freshman year, you know, he, he basically said that his recruiting process was was goofy. It was a, it was a strange journey, and he was you know already just a year uh, removed from it was really reflective about that. And, and, you know, now he's saying he was clueless. That's the word he used. He said he was clueless his first spring camp at Penn State two years ago. Um, you know, when he's trailing around all these other guys, he's making that transition from defensive end. And eventually he certainly found his fit. He understood that there's a way to pursue plays while still playing within the system. And he has a tremendous relationship with Brent Pry going back to the earliest days of his high school recruitment. And and I'll tell you what, three years ago, talking to Micah at these some of these national camps, um, he was not in a great state mentally in terms of wanting to talk about his recruitment. I think he was turned off by a, a lot of the negative attention he got after the decommitment from Penn State. Um, for it to work out the way it has here three years later, um, man, I tell you what, the, the kid could have made a lot of decisions along the way. He's been pushing the right buttons to get himself in this spot. And like you said, a year from now, uh, you know, some NFL franchise, uh, you know, I would imagine is going to be touting him as the next big thing that they've got cooking. I, w- I would think so. <clears throat> Excuse me. I, w- I would think so. It's, it seems like a fairly safe pick. And you, you look back to his recruitment and you consider Micah Parsons a safe pick with, with, with the red flags that were out there and were acknowledged that were out there. Um, that's, that says something about his development, the way that he's handled the last couple of years, uh, two years, 192 tackles and, and he's an all American and you know, the, the expectations are even higher for this year, best linebacker in the country. I mean, and obviously the important thing, the updated rosters on NCAA 14 for the 2020 season Mm. has Micah Parsons as, as a 99 overall. So that's really the goal. Anytime that you, uh, you know, step into a college game, that's, uh, or step into a college, uh, atmosphere. You want to be the, the top guy at your position on the video game. That's really what we're we're all here for. Where did they list him as the kick returner depth chart? Oh, you did it again, <laughs> didn't you? I, you know what was surprising? Probably the most surprising thing was, one, he didn't get asked about the NFL draft during this conference call. We all got one question. I don't think everybody got one question. Uh, there was a lot of folks on this call, as you'd expect, more national media types calling in for this one than, than what we would normally get for a Penn State call. Um, didn't get asked about the NFL draft, which was a surprise to me because Saquon Barkley was dealing with those questions from, from the moment we got a mic in his face going into his junior year. Um, and additionally, didn't get asked about the kick returner thing. That was really surprising that, that no one brought that up. Uh, impressive actually by the beat not to do that, but we've milked the heck out of that story and we'll continue to do so. Um, I, I'm just going to put it right out there and, and maybe we'll see him fielding a kick, but focusing on what he's done defensively, 
He is still not on campus. Sean mentioned this at the top of the show. He'll be in with phase two. So when a lot of these uh, freshmen and, and everybody's getting to campus next weekend, he will be here uh, after Father's Day. He, he told us he was motivated to spend Father's Day at home with his dad, Terrence, and with his son. Uh, I think some people forget that Micah Parsons, uh, a young father like Lamont Wade, uh, both in you know, facing different circumstances than, than the vast, vast majority of their peers, especially in this Penn State locker room. Uh, where, you know where they are dependent on as fathers. So I will say this though, Micah Parsons, as he has matured as a player, as he has matured to talk about his recruiting uh, from a distance now, and as he has you know gotten to the stage where he's going to be counted on as, as a kind of a tone setter in this locker room as a team leader, the one thing that hasn't changed is his approach. It feels like to talking about the game. He's just. He, he's kind of sounds like that big kid who's all about being the wrecking ball out there. He's, he's, he's content in the work that he puts in, you know, six other days of the week. And when it's time to play that game, uh, you know, he just, he loves it. You know, he, he's not letting this pressure get to him. If he is, you're not hearing it in his voice. It, it, you know, he was asked about that a couple times on this call. You know, are, are you, you know, we remember Saquon going into the 2017 season and the pressure stacking up on that and, and the, and the scrutiny and the attention at the NFL level. Are you feeling this? And, and Micah was just, it, it didn't seem forced for him to say that it wasn't something that, that he was, uh, you know, dwelling on. He was focusing in on, on, on being that, you know, having fun mentality. And he thinks, you know, at the end of the day, the work you put in, maybe you win a national championship, maybe you win uh, the Buckus Award, maybe you're the number one pick. He said all he can control is that work he's putting in, and I just it's it's refreshing to hear that because we do you know there's a lot of pressure on a lot of these guys across college football, and sometimes when you hear some of them speak, you feel like they forget kind of you know the, why they're there and 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 what college is supposed to be about in some ways. It's it's easy to lose that these days. I think in the in the modern setup for college football. But, you know, he still, in a lot of ways, sounds like that 16, 17-year-old that I remember chatting with, just having fun and going out, racking up tackles and hitting quarterbacks. He, he's handling it like Saquon handled it. I mean, you, you, you talk about the pressure. And it was, it was interesting because you mentioned nobody asked about the draft. Well, a couple of years ago, some members of, of the beat still thought Saquon Barkley could come back as a senior. That's where they thought, you know, he might be and obviously you know he played we, it we, so close we, to the vest didn't they we, <laughs> well i mean no but even just like genuinely thought that that might happen which was not going to happen it wasn't <laughs> even close to happening nobody believes micah is going to come back no. i mean nobody's going to believe that micah you know for the love of the game for the national chain all that kind of stuff nobody believes he's going to come back and that's you know i think something that when you look at his talent level when you look at the strides that he's made and he came in here and you know a lot like lavar was a freelancer a guy that did whatever he wanted to do and was so physically talented that he could do that and get away with it. And Harrisburg's well coached in a sense of Cal Everett does a fantastic job in an atmosphere that is incredibly difficult. Um, I, I don't remember if you went to his All-American ceremony. I did. I was uh, that's there. the only time. Yeah, it was the only time I've been in Harrisburg High. It's it looks different than in any place that that I've been um, for, for for obvious reasons. And it's just an atmosphere where you have to bring a different kind of discipline, a different kind of coaching style. And Cal Everett does a fantastic job. You know, where, where they struggle is when you get into games against, uh, you know, teams that, you know, that have more, there's just scheme better that, that have more, uh, I guess, team based mentality. That's when they, they've had their struggles. But so he went from that atmosphere where 
where he was well coached in one aspect, but needed to improve in the other aspect. And that's where Brent Pry has been such a big part of his development. And he's talked about that in the past. And, and really the strides that he's made to even up the two sides of his game has been really incredible to watch because it was, uh, you know, he's kind of, uh, I don't want to call him sheltered, but he was kind of uh, standoffish and not really um, this personality that we have grown to know over the last couple of years. And, and that's really, you know, been a credit to the growth that he's shown um, over the last couple of because he knows what's ahead. And I think that's really what's happened. You, you make it through three years here. You've got a payday coming because you are so immensely talented and I think that's really how he's handled the situation and he's taken that upon himself and I think he's going to take another stride in terms of embracing that for Penn State this year and and I think it really can help out the program he's already the face of of, of the team this year he's, he's already one of the faces of the Big Ten Conference but in terms of bringing that to a national level and being that player that can get you over the hump can get you maybe past Ohio State into the playoff and that's something that he's embraced and I think that's something that that he's taken on and really uh, turned it into a challenge for himself. That was quite a day at the uh, Harrisburg Auditorium in the fall of 2017. I definitely remember you being there. I definitely remember being there. And it stands out to this day because I think it was maybe a week removed from his official visit to Ohio State, which was like causing all this noise around his recruitment. It was a interesting time for Micah. I think that was actually right after or right before he got back to uh, Beaver Stadium for the first time after his decommitment, and and the ice was re- you know kind of starting to thaw between the two parties. And again, less than three years later, here we are talking about him as the face of, of this edition of the Nittany Lions. It's ice is a good way. <laughs> ice is a good way to put that uh, <laughs> that day because he was not he was not particularly <laughs> happy to be uh, back in that spotlight where anybody could put a microphone in front of his face. So right. uh, come a long way since then. And and one thing he's still, I, I, there is still a bit of a. I, you mentioned standoffish in this capacity. Maybe that's not the right phrase, but he's a guy who really likes to focus in on what he can control and let the leaders around him lead. I think he's never been that vocal guy, and he said if there's one thing that's going to really push him out of his comfort zone this year, it's going to be the fact that he realizes he needs to take on more of a vocal role with this Penn State defense, with this Penn State locker room as it gets back to campus, as it tries to chase down this college football playoff appearance. And you know, he says it's just something that does not come naturally to him. He, he's probably been more of the guy who doesn't say anything during his first couple of years on campus. Now, you hear Mike, Micah, I don't want to make it sound like he's some introverted guy. He's a guy who has fun. I think James Franklin has said no one has more fun day to day than Micah Parsons, but that is different than being a guy who can be a locker room enforcer, a guy who's going to uh, hold others accountable. And that's really the step he is looking to make here. Now, I think that locker room, uh, that linebacker room, I should say, has a guy who's tailor made for that and Jesse Lucchetta. They came in together. They've been close friends. But, you know, all due respect to Lucetta, who's battling for a starting job himself this year, Micah Parsons carries a tremendously different level of clout. And, and he's really on a different uh, stratosphere than, than almost anybody in this locker room. Uh, you know, you can throw Pat Fryermuth, a guy whose word goes a long way, has that kind of innate leadership ability. It's not innate with Micah. And that's, according to his own words, going to be him having to break out of, of his comfort zone and taking that step forward. 
I got a question in the chat last week about the the mid state in 2022, and it's fantastic. You know, Makai Flowers and Anthony Ivy Prabula's down there has got an offer as a quarterback, and uh, a really talented area. And Nick, Nicholas Singleton's in District Three as well, and asking if that's the most talented ever. And then by the time I actually read the question, the guy had remembered. Oh, 2018 had Micah Parsons, Zach Koontz, Charlie Catcher, and not that not that Catcher uh, and Koontz have developed into you know the stars, but Micah carries so much of that clout. I mean, bona fide five star, never a question about uh, his five star talent. It just carries so much of that clout, and that 2022 class is very good. And Penn State's got to obviously got to hit on some of those guys, but the 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 pool that Micah Parsons had as a recruit I'm not sure we've seen anything like that I mean Noah Spence was was up there in that area you know Terrell Pryor in that state but a bona fide top five recruit I mean you've got uh that's that's saying something that's a statement and then you know maybe not uh on that same level but I spoke to Derek Davis this week as we transitioned into recruiting and they're they're selling them on being that Parsons guy on being that the home state guy that I guess the hometown hero type guy and that's something that uh, you know that they, they've tried to uh, guess pound away on on a guy like Derek Davis. So uh, Parsons' uh, influence, of course, extending to the recruiting trail. They're hoping to uh, you know turn that uh, that story, which is a really really good story, especially when you take into account all the the things that you know all the unknowns during his recruitment. It's turning you know five star player playing at a five star level is not a huge story, but the way that they've handled Michael Parsons kept him you know in in. I guess in the positives uh, spotlight and in, in the way that they've branded him has been a really success. has been a really big success story for Penn state. You've heard that Parsons, uh, you know, application to the Derek Davis recruitment really since I think he started talking about his recruitment as a freshman, both of them received offers from James Franklin at, at about the same stage in their high school career. Um, and, and, and yeah, certainly Derek Davis, uh, part of your trimmings piece uh, on Monday, um, you know, they're, they're trying to sell him on, on being that next in-state ambassador. Um, I think Par- Parsons on the recruiting trail has done a really nice job. He, um, you know, it didn't work out, but he was the guy who I thought maybe more than anybody at Penn State um, roster, you know, the, the assistant coaches were, were in flux. But he was a guy who connected really, really, really well with Julian Fleming. And I know it didn't work out, and I know people don't like to hear that name, but that was a really really interesting thing to see because I remember Fleming saying, and this is to the point why I bring it up, he said, not many people have walked in my shoes as a recruit and can can kind of uh, identify with this attention and the pressure that comes with it. Micah is one of them. And I think that there is something to be said where, you know, I think Curtis Jacobs, you know, I think, you know, Terry Smith made a comparison. He said Curtis Jacobs coming in as that five-star recruit kind of carries a little bit of that aura around him, maybe not to the level that Micah did. But Terry says, you know, when you have that aura, guys who also have it, they can identify with it. They'll be drawn to you. They'll be interested in what you have to say. And, you know, I think that's why you do need to maximize on this. You're not guaranteed to have the next Micah step up here at Penn State and be that kind of a draw and have those kind of conversations with the top talent across America. Micah's one of those guys, and I can tell you right now, if you're getting a, a big-time visitor on campus and been a long time since anyone could have a visitor on campus, let's hope that happens in the fall. You know that Penn State's going to do their best to pair guys up with Micah Parsons 
have them spend time in, in a room with Micah Parsons, whatever it requires, because, um, you know, he, again, he, he has lived that experience. He has visited all the big time schools. He has had Nick Saban, Urban Meyer, and, and the rest of them blowing up his phone on a daily basis. And, it, and he got to this point where he's wearing that Penn State uniform. And I, I just think that is something that should not be lost in the shuffle. Yeah, if you're a player and, and you have recruits on campus and re- those recruits want to get pictures with that player, that's saying something. We saw that with Saquon. Uh, you see that with Micah Parsons. So I- even if you don't have a prior connection with Parsons, you want to be around him because you want to get that picture because, you know, at some point he's going to get drafted and you're going to post it on your Instagram that, that you met him. So um, it's. Uh, I, might, you know, I it's, might do that too. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Uh, but no, I mean, uh, moving past him, we get Noah Kane later this week. I know you're looking forward to that. Yeah. Uh, you're a big Noah Kane guy. Uh, you also spoke with Kevin Gilliam. I mentioned I spoke with Derek Davis. So a lot of stuff on the site right now um, in terms of uh, recruiting, in terms of team stuff. Football, man, we get, we're finally getting some some sort of football back. It's great. It's beautiful. It really is. And and, and just touching on the Ke- Kelvin Gilliam conversation, which uh, by the time this, this podcast is live, you'll be able to check it out for our VIP subscribers up online. 247.com. And, and by the way, uh, right now, two months for $1. That is going through Wednesday. I probably should have mentioned that at the top of the show, but two months for $1. If, if you're not ready to make that long-term year of investment on the site, uh, check it out for a couple months. And it's obviously what less than two cents a day, a pretty good deal. Um, but when, when you look at Gilliam, we've talked about it, six foot three, 250, a guy who carries a, a really strong academic track record. Not a lot of concerns with this kid at all out of Highland Springs, Virginia. And he's a player who mentioned to me really at the start of the coronavirus shutdown that he was going to try to get to campus uh, for an official visit in June. That couldn't happen. Penn State w- w- was a player for him. Nothing has changed in that regard. It's just going to be the timing of these official visits. And, and as you'll, you'll see, if you get into the article, uh, Penn State's in a pretty good spot here. So are some other schools. Um, but yeah, he's going to trim things down soon. Um, but I, I don't think you should look for any decisions until after he gets these official visits. And he may take all five. Uh, Penn State, though, in a good spot. And we've talked about this before. One of those players that, you know, he's labeled as a defensive end. He's six foot three, 250 pounds. Seeing him at the next level inside, he talked about his ability to, to, to maybe uh, be a guy who, who spends early downs outside, uh, third down passing situations, slides inside. Uh, we'll see where it goes for him. But I think when you look at defensive line targets for Penn State moving ahead, and, and that's been a spot that, that's been tricky to, to monitor over the course of this shutdown because of the lack of visits, because of the lack of, of confirmed measurements and all that goes into this. He remains for me uh, really the mar- a marquee name, if not the marquee name, uh, to keep tabs on for Penn State fans. I mean, on that defensive line, at least, and yeah, he's right. a tackle. I mean, let's uh, let's not kid ourselves. I mean, he's 260 pounds right now. He visited back in January, so uh, he's been on campus. He got a chance to see it, and and I see him as Penn State's most realistic defensive tackle recruit. There's still some some other guys out there, but uh, Gilliam. I mean, if you talk to him, great kid. I mean, great really personality. Yeah. Just. Uh, you know, really, you really like what you see from Kelvin Gilliam, and you think he's a guy that you want. You know, whichever program you follow, you want a kid like that in your program. You know, we've seen so many light kids, uh, just like uh, Gilliam. So I would say most realistic uh, defensive tackle left on the board, and a uh, pretty good player in the, at that. Reminds me a bit of PJ Mustafer in terms of conversing, uh, not just because of the position that they may share if if he ends up at Penn State, but just kind of you feel like you're talking to a kid who already has a lot figured out 
for where he is at, at that stage of his life. The son of a military man, so I think that's always something to note there in, in terms of, of a kid who kind of has his day-to-day plan put together. Uh, but we'll, we'll keep tabs on that again, the story up for our VIP subscribers. And check out the, the conversation that Sean had with Derek Davis in his Monday trimmings piece for our VIP uh, readers as well. Some interesting notes there as uh, Derek Davis continues to, to look for the right fit in Penn State, as it has been the case since his freshman year. Very much in that conversation. Um, time to get to our five-star mailbag, Sean. And uh, we've got a couple to get to today. Uh, they keep coming in. Please keep them coming as well uh, throughout the summer. we got a lot to talk about. I think more topics are opening up now to get to. So uh, go to the Apple Podcast page, uh, Lions 24-7 Podcast. You'll find it. And uh, leave a five-star rating review. Throw your question in there. You can do it more than once. And again, uh, we got the whole summer to get through. we got a lot of questions ourselves, and we know you have them. So let's get to one for you from Doug21988. He says, how much do the negative aspects of Twitter affect recruits, such as when fans badmouth recruits for not picking their school and other recruits see that? Do you think this affects where these kids decide to go to school? I do. Um, I I think some of it does. And I think that the the issue that you run into is, is the same thing with a lot of fan bases. You find the worst in fan bases, especially on Twitter. And the, uh, I will say this, the quality filter on Twitter is one of the best things that they could have invented. I know I use it quite regularly. Um, but, uh, it's, it's, it's something that adds up for certain, uh, for certain kids. I think you see so much negative on Twitter from most fan, from a lot of fan base, from all fan, let's just go all fan bases. You see so much of that, that, that eventually you eventually tune it out. And does it change where kids decide to go to school? I think it does a little bit, but not a bunch, because you still got to do the research. You still got to be the one that's actually talking to the coaches, uh, the people around that university, see how you fit. And honestly, if you make a decision based off of what people say on Twitter, it's probably not going to work out well for you in the long run. So I think it could. I think there are kids out here that that it does influence. Um, I think it's more influence than uh, affect the affect the outcome. Uh, it doesn't really make much sense, but. You know, it might be something that sticks in the back of your mind more so than the first thing you think about when you think about a school. So, yeah, I do think it affects uh, recruits. I think it, uh, you know, it, it's an unfortunate, uh, uh, I guess, fallout from that situation where you, can, you there's no wall between recruits and between, um, you know, either either your donors or your fans or your whatevers. Um, you know, the, the, there has to be a line in between there. It's just not. And, you know, if, if you're one of those accounts that's constantly following recruiting, I mean, uh, or constantly tweeting at recruits, constantly doing anything, you're probably a fan. And that's, you know, you have a vested interest in where that, the, that player ends up. And that's, that's a huge conflict of, of really what the way that it should go. Um, but, but we know that's not the way that it works. So it's, it's an unfortunate byproduct of the process. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are kids that will make their decisions. They will eliminate schools. They will, I think it can do more harm than, than, than it can do good for that, for that process. Yeah, I, I think there's there's definitely more of a potential for a negative impact than, you know, posting a GIF of 
of your fans or your coach or something from your school and saying, come here, that's not going to have as much of an impact unless uh, as it would, if you are really going after a kid on a personal level about something. And, um, you know, Hey, I think this again, draws me back to the Micah Parsons recruitment. I think there, how many tweets do you think have been deleted in the last few years from the spring of 2017? Maybe even some of our listeners are guilty because I remember Micah Parsons getting pummeled by significant amount of Penn State fans, especially when Ohio State began to surface as a top contender for his commitment. And that was in a public forum. And I remember thinking, I wonder how this kid is handling it. And this, that's just one example. And it's one that hits home here. But there are plenty uh, from over the years where you see a kid commit to a school at one stage. There's an outpouring of support. Uh, hey, you're part of the family. Uh, you know, for the rest of your life, uh, we're going to love you. You're part of this. And then, you know, seven months later, maybe a coach leaves, maybe something shifts in his family. Maybe he just doesn't want to go to your school. He puts out, you know, a, a, a respectful thing about why he's decommitting, you know, moving forward, nothing but love for this program, wishing you well. And he will still get some of the same usernames that, that were praising him before. They'll come back and, and they'll just crush him uh, on, on a personal level, not on a football prospect thing. It'll be hitting at the person. I think one thing that, that the engagement has done and, and just the fact that players are prospects, high school players are so receptive now to all the noise around them, whether it's the, the 24 seven sports uh, conjecture and, uh, you know, opinion coming from the experts, but I think more so from the social media and the DMS and the tweets and whatever's going on on Instagram. I think that it makes them feel a little bit more like mercenaries than they would have in the past. I felt like usually that would have been reserved for NFL players. You know, you're getting paid by a team, the fans love you. If you sign with the rival to get more money, they're gonna boo you. Uh, they're gonna, you know, they're 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 going to to have you in their ire. Whereas now it feels like high school kids are dealing with that already. They're already kind of feeling like they don't necessarily care about me. They care about the uniform I'm wearing, and I think that kind of fits into that mercenary mentality, which is a big part of professional sports. It's a big part of football. I think it's something that a lot of fans gloss over, but I think it matters a lot to these elite athletes that when they start to get a perspective at a young age, you know, hey, they don't care about me. They don't care about my my family. They care about what I can do for them while I'm wearing this uniform, and I think that hits home for some of these kids really early. Yeah, and especially with the rapid rise to the celebrity status that we've sort of brought on for these guys, um, when you know when you when you jump on board and you get a couple of offers right away, I mean, boom, the 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 fans start following you, the fans start you know listening to you and seeing everything that you're putting out there, and that's you know that's dangerous for some on on one end, and then the other end is the the, the lack of a wall. And you mentioned how many tweets were deleted. Let's be honest, I mean the the people that tweet most of this stuff at recruits probably aren't the people that are going to delete these tweets just because you know that's the type of person they are so i just i mean it's 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 a crazy world it's very different than uh you know when we started covering recruiting and and it's you know it's an unfortunate byproduct of that and and like i said the kids have embraced this and and we've seen this during the shutdown and i talked about it last week we've seen it during the shutdown where you've got guys who are basically cutting their list based off of the the best edits and the best fans 
fan base and the most followers and things like that. It's just it's crazy to think about. You got guys that 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 have a top five and haven't visited three or four of those schools, but solely because of the quote unquote love that they're feeling, whether that be from staff and fans and everything like that. And it's crazy, and it's it's going to lead to some poor decisions, I think. Um, but that's for them to, to to make. That's for them to to find out in the long run, and that's why it's going to be such an interesting uh, recruiting cycle. Turning our attention here in the mailbag to the current Penn State roster, Hokey Pokey 54 has a question here. Given the unknowns at wide receiver, I knew we'd get a wide receiver reference in this episode. There it is. Any chance we see snaps from any of these players outside of their core positions? He goes on to list Pat Fryermuth, Theo Johnson, Zach Koontz, Brenton Strange, all four of them, of course, at tight end. And then he mentions Devin Ford and Keziah Holmes at running back. Any chance we see them outside of their core positions? Well, that I mean, that's a, an interesting question because you're going to see these guys all over the field, and that's not necessarily a, uh, them playing a different position. I mean, we, we saw it last year. Penn State played a lot of 12 personnel with uh, with two tight ends because they had Nick Bowers, and, and I see it this year too. I mean, you could see a situation, you know, you go 21 personnel, which is two running backs, a tight end, and two receivers where, you know, you could move move around a guy like Keziah Holmes and play him in the slot or even move around a Devin Ford. We, we've seen him. Uh, he played receiver his uh, his senior year in high school. So you've got guys that can move around and play different spots without necessarily playing a different position. Um, I, I don't know that we see Theo Johnson out there. Um, you know, he's got a lot to <clears throat> excuse me, a lot to overcome in terms of what's ahead of him. I do think Zach Koontz and Brenton Strange can play different spots. Uh, you know, you can I think that's an what's interesting about the tight end room is it gives you so many options to play different personnel groupings while looking like you're playing a certain, you know, you can play Brenton Strange out wide on one play and be in a traditional 11 personnel type setup and then change right away to 12 personnel without huddling, without going and changing your substitution patterns. And because obviously when you substitute on the offensive side, you have to give the defense time to, to do their substitution. So I think that's probably what's most dangerous and what's most appealing about these these personnel groupings is that you can play two tight ends at a time. You can play two, two, two running backs at a time and just play them all over the place without actually you know changing their positions and things like that. So yes, I think given the root of the question, we do see snaps um, from these guys, especially because you know they're unproven at wide receiver. So what do you do? You take a receiver off and you throw Brenton Strange in and play him outside you throw Zach Koontz in, maybe make a mismatch on the outside in the red zone. So you've got options to do that. Maybe a little bit less with with running back, but you know Devin Ford's an amazingly talented individual. Kaziah Holmes, we've heard a lot of good things about. So I think that you see, we will see some of that. Um, you know, what's the uh, what's the solution when you don't have enough receivers? Well, take them off and put your more talented guys on. You've got some talent at these other spots. So you, you, I think you're going to use them. I'll tell you what, if if <laughs> They are looking for motivation in this receiver room. I hope they're listening to this podcast on a weekly basis because we're like everybody else. I mean, we're not trashing these guys, but we're viewing it as just like this big mystery box. And and I, it's fair to do at this point. And Jahan Dotson uh, had him last week. You know, he wasn't really able to to shed light on, on much there. And Taylor Stubblefield wasn't able to shed light on much when we got him earlier in the spring. And you know, you, you you can list off these names. We just don't know. So I feel like, again, every I think we had a question that we didn't get to in this podcast uh, that was like, since the conversation always ends up at wide receiver on this podcast, dot, dot, dot. And it really does. It's just it's just such a glaring potential issue for this team. And it, it's also a glaring spot where if it if it 
can write itself, then it could mean a whole heck of a lot for this Penn State offensive attack. But I, I think, you know, we, we see on the message boards occasionally, I, I get tweeted this sometimes, why not put six foot seven Zach Koontz on the perimeter and make a defense uh, have to make some difficult decisions or just throw him a jump ball against a 5'11 cornerback if you can find that kind of a matchup. That's always been compelling. And Zach Koontz in general, uh, we've been doing our countdown thing. It got to 82. Um, so we, we matched it up with his uniform number, wrote a little bit about him this week. And I'm just reminded about uh, you know, the, the success this kid had in high school, the, the recruit rating that he carried coming in, and we knew it was going to take a while. If, if this is the year that maybe he can hit on some of that and take a step, man, that would be huge for him and, and huge for Penn State. And maybe he's that kind of versatile cog in the offense that you can see uh, being put in different spots. Kaziah Holmes, though, something to note here, and you know I'm a big fan of Devin Ford. I think he can do pretty much, uh, he can do a lot for you on the football field, and, and that's not restricted to just lining up in the backfield. But Kaziah Holmes, uh, J1 Sider mentioned this on signing day, when he was recruited by the Florida Gators, and, and I think he was offered before his sophomore season when Sider was on that staff with Florida, um, he was recruited as a wide receiver. That's where they saw him. So Sider ha- has seen the evaluation process with this kid on a couple different staffs, and he's seen it go wide receiver. He's seen it go at running back. He's mentioned on the two deep right now, a kickoff returner. He's the guy that I think if he gets back here to campus, he took care of what he needed to do without the ability to get that first spring ball under his belt. Maybe that is a path for him onto the field. I'm definitely going to be, you know, in that backfield thinking outside of those top three guys that we see, Brown, Kane, and Ford, what does Holmes bring that you can actually utilize as kind of an X-factor weapon in this offense and kind of treat that luxury of the running back depth into something that facilitates maybe a, a different wrinkle in your offense. And he's the guy I keep coming up with. We'll find out maybe if Noah Kane has some thoughts on Kaziah when we get to him this week on a phone call. And we'll talk about that on the next episode. But Kaziah continues to be someone I look at and, and think, you know, is there something Kirk Shiraka, J1 Sider can cook up uh, to utilize this freshman, burn that red shirt, and, you know, bring about an, an interesting uh, dynamic that defenses are going to have to be concerned with on a week-to-week basis, even if it's only a couple touches a game. Yeah, if, if you have them, use them. I mean, if you if you make the uh, the determination that you're going to play them, I mean, you got, you got to use them. So, I mean, I, I hate to call him a gadget player, but as a freshman behind those three experienced running backs, for I now mean, that might fit. That might be that might be what you have to turn him into, and I, I still think he can impact the return game as well. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I am. I, I'm probably leaning more to tight end at this point, just basically because you can line those guys up and, you know, they can take place of a receiver. And if it's two running backs, you know, you want to start them in a two back set and motion them out. That's fine and everything like that. But I think the tight ends um, can really do some damage in this thing, in, in, in this offense. So uh, they're, they're skilled, they're, they've got receiving backgrounds and they've got size. So I think that's something. And you've also got Pat Fryer. I mean, that's the thing. If you've got two tight ends on the, uh, on the field, you're paying attention to Pat Fryermuth mm. and then the other guy. I mean, it's not it's not going to be the other way around. So I think it's going to open up some opportunities for some other guys. And and again, we'd like to see some receivers step up and maybe have a say in this and and see what uh, see what they can do. And you know, there's a, there's a lot of exciting uh, opportunities for guys to uh, to sort of make their mark this year. Kirk Shiraka told us at his inter- introductory press conference that you know kind of put the personnel stuff aside from from what guys did at Minnesota. His job is to figure out what he's got on the current roster and maximize the top talent he has by getting them on the field together 
regardless of position. And so I think that's something that's going to be, you know, to this to this point here from Hokey Pokey 54, if you feel like you've got still a, a lackluster situation at wide receiver, um, and, and he's going to learn a lot about that spot with the new coach in the summer, well, you have nice resources because you may have a top five positional group at both tight end and running back at, at, across college football. So there is a lot to work with there uh, and a lot of imagination that should be stirred. So thanks for the questions uh, on the five-star mailbag here. We'll get to some more on the next episode coming up later in the week. We'll continue to do so every episode. Again, the way you do it, Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star rating and review, include your question, include a couple questions in there if you'd like. Um, that's going to do it for us, Sean. I know you're probably anxious to, to get back into the beach mode and, and maybe, uh, maybe not so anxious to, to wrangle up the boys, but, uh, anything else to add here? No, I think we're good. I think we're good. It's 65 <laughs> degrees today. So it's not exactly the beach mode, but actually when you got two young kids and you're trying to stay away from people, we had a nice little beach day yesterday for, you know, some short period of time, but there was nobody out there. It was great. And that's my favorite time to be on the beach. Awesome. Well, we're, we're doing it in shifts. I'm heading home to, to do a little bit of time uh, in the beach town this upcoming weekend. Sean will be heading back. We'll still have an episode for you. Um, drop your five-star rating and review. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and stay informed, of course, on lines247.com. One final reminder, two months for $1.00 through Wednesday. That ends Wednesday midnight and 30% off of an annual VIP subscription. Now's the time to make that move. Football players are back on campus. We're all here. We got plenty to uh, look forward to here at Lions247.com. I'd like to say we've made it through the worst of this 2020 situation, but based on what I've learned from 2020, I'm not going to get too far ahead of myself, but things are trending in the right direction as we talked about earlier. Why would you say that? Jinxed, jinxed at the end of the show here. Um, that's going to do it for us. Check out all the content up on the site. Tune in for the next podcast. Uh, Sean Fitz, Tyler Donahue. Thanks as always for listening. It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.